Welcome to this episode in our podcast series looking at the approach of global financial regulators to non-financial misconduct and whistleblowing. I'm Sarah Cody, Counsel in Linklater's Financial Regulation Practice here in London. I'm joined by two guests from our offices in Germany who have financial service contentious regulatory experience in that jurisdiction. Hi, I'm Andreas De Hio. I'm a financial regulatory partner here in Frankfurt. And I'm Christian Schmidt, a partner in the Linklater's Dispute Resolution Practice also in Frankfurt. So we recently published a review of the role of non-financial misconduct is playing in the assessment of the suitability of individuals to work in financial services. Our review is available on the Linklater's website and a link comes with the link to this podcast. It addresses the position in 12 key financial centres around the world and should be of interest to people in senior management positions, legal and compliance teams and anyone with responsibility for whistleblowing programmes. In this podcast, we'll look at how German financial service regulation and supervision addresses non-financial misconduct, or NFM. We'll examine the grounds on which a senior individual might be removed from a role for NFM or for failing to control the risk of NFM occurring in their organisation. We'll also cover German whistleblowing practices in a nutshell, and we'll use a few short illustrative examples as we go. So let's dive right in and look at non-financial misconduct first. So, Andreas, I'm going to start with you. Are there any specific regulatory provisions or authorities that address NFM in Germany? Thanks, Sarah. Well, not not really. In in Germany, at least, we, we don't have a regulatory authority which, uh, which specifically uh, oversees NFM. But nevertheless, NFM can still be caught by the system of financial services regulation and supervision. As to the authority generally, BaFin, which is the German Financial Supervisory Authority, regulates and supervises financial services firms. Um, let's just put on site uh, for the present purposes the specific collaboration between BaFin and ECB under the single supervisory mechanism. Well, coming back to, to what BaFin does in this respect, BaFin will, of course, take action in case of NFM in the conduct of an individual subject to financial regulation also violates financial regulatory provisions. And it's important to understand who precisely is subject to regulatory scrutiny. Isn't that right? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, primarily we have individuals that are subject to regulatory scrutiny, and in particular if they are managing directors or Geschäftsleiter, which is the German term, uh, or if they are members of the administrative or supervisory body of a company. Let's call for the purposes of this, this session now all of those directors, uh, because that makes it a lot easier. In addition, we also have some individual responsibility for so-called key function holders. And BaFin can take action against those individuals in cases of NFM, is that right? Well, it's it's a bit more more difficult or a bit more delicate. In, in, in fact, it is that BaFin can require a director to be de- dismissed on certain specified grounds. And there are various grounds, but but it's really that the, the company is, is asked to dismiss. Talking about the grounds that will lead to that, Ground that is most re- uh, relevant to NFM is if uh, the regulator comes to the conclusion that a director is no longer reliable. Uh, but two other grounds are also worth noting. First, it is if the director carelessly exercises their supervisory and control function and therefore has been unaware of material breaches by the firm and continues in this way despite a warning from the BaFin. The second one is if the director does not take all necessary steps to remedy any infringements found despite a warning from the BaFin. So let's talk a little more about this ground of unreliability. Um, what criteria does the BaFin apply when assessing this and how might NFM tie in here? Well, NFM is, is an important point when we talk about the reliability of a director and obviously will might have an, an, an impact. 
from a from a legalistic or dogmatic perspective, reliability is a common requirement in German public law for activities that enjoy the public special trust or are more exposed to the risk of criminal activity. Reliability is generally assumed in the absence of evidence to the contrary. But there is no uniform legal definition of it, and there have been very few court decisions on the assessment of reliability by Baffin. Actually, none of them dealt with NFM. This means that we need to go back to basic principles. So whether an individual is in fact unreliable will depend on the specific conduct and the individual's position. I know that this is a bit abstract, so, so let me explain. The assessment is forward-looking. It doesn't aim to be retrospective. Instead, it aims to anticipate future conduct. Well, that means that the Baffin will look at the individual's future obligations in the company and assess whether their past conduct means that they wouldn't be reliable in that role. And how sure does the Baffin need to be about that before making a finding? That, that's, that's a really good question. Well, actually, Baffin will assess whether unreliability is likely. So the Baffin doesn't need to be certain that the NFM will occur again. Instead, it will look at the seriousness of the harm that resulted, as well as the likelihood that the NFM will recur. In, such, in this regard, it follows that the more serious the harm, the lower the possibility of recurrent needs to be. And does this apply to any kind of NFM or any kind of harm? Well, not necessarily. Well, you need to remember that it's all about reliability in the role as, as a director. So, for example, Baffin mind may find unreliability if an individual's personal circumstances could impair the careful and orderly work of the individual. And this assessment is made on the basis of common life experience. Here, then a number of things could be relevant, like personal conduct, as well as business conduct and an individual's criminal, financial, pecuniary and uh, supervisory aspects. Criminal or regulatory violations are, of course, potentially relevant, but particularly so if they are linked to the individual's professional activities. Some examples that are likely to lead to an assumption of unreliability would be property offenses or persistent violations of regulations, well, particular in commercial trade competition or tax law. But uh, extra occupational incidents must be considered too if they allow conclusions to be drawn about the individual's professional reliability. So felonies, that is crimes with a one-year minimum sentence, we will usually demonstrate a lack of reliability, as will health issues such as severe alcoholism or periodic loss of consciousness. Thanks, Andreas. So that's a really interesting insight into the ground of reliability. You also mentioned grounds relating to supervision and control. That's right. Say that certain criminal behavior is taking place within a company. A director has regulatory obligations to take necessary and reasonable supervisory measures to counter the risk of breaches within, within the company, that is to make the breaches considerably more difficult or to prevent them. But a director can only be sanctioned if the offence committed is punishable by a penalty or fine. And it's worth stressing again, if proper supervision would have prevented the criminal behaviour or made it considerably more difficult. Here, a key supervisory step is recruitment. It's important to select personnel carefully to reduce the risk of employing individuals that will engage in NFM that is otherwise difficult to supervise. So if the BaFin decides that a director should be dismissed, do they have the final word? Uh, not, not, not necessarily. I mean, they have an important word, of course, but dismissal or prohibition by the BaFin ultimately leads to an infringement of the individual's freedom of profession as, as guaranteed by the German constitution by Article 12, Para 1 of the, uh, of the Grundgesetz. 
This means that the Baffin's decision, although they are final from the administrative perspective, are subject to a full review before the German courts, and Baffin takes this very seriously when taking such decisions. In many jurisdictions, NFM involving dishonesty or fraud, particularly financial fraud, has attracted regulatory sanction for some time for pretty understandable reasons. Now, in some jurisdictions, we are seeing indications that other forms of broader NFM, so assault, bullying and sexual harassment, might be increasingly relevant to the ability of an individual to continue enrol. From what you've said, it seems like the German position is very much focused on the reliability of an individual within their particular role. Um, Will some of these wider questions be as relevant in this context? Well, sir, possibly. That's possible, but it's it's, it's not necessarily that clear-cut. I think it's it's likely that a substantial and long-running financial fraud committed outside role would be relevant to an assessment of reliability. I mean, that's clear. Uh, if it's severe, then bullying might lead to a finding of unreliability as well, and therefore dismissal, as might also assault or sexual harassment. If the NFM, however, is less severe, then the firm might take other disciplinary measures, such as transferring the individual to another team, giving them a warning or adjusting remuneration. And NFM of various kinds, if it's endemic within a company rather than one-off, could actually lead to the Baffin finding that the company's directors had fallen short of their supervisory obligations at all. Thanks, Andreas. That was really helpful. Um, Christian, I'm going to turn to you now, and we're going to talk a little bit about whistleblowing. Um, First, I think it's worth understanding to what extent whistleblower protections are general in nature or specific to financial services in Germany. Sure. Thanks, Sarah. First of all, it's worth noting that there's no uniform national regulations protecting whistleblowers from disadvantages at the workplace. But protection of whistleblowers against dismissal is distinctive and pronounced. German corporate law requires the management of all companies to ensure an effective compliance organization. And if they don't, their directors expose themselves to directors' liability. Um, which was demonstrated in the Neuburger case in 2013, where the court recognized that for institutions with a certain risk predisposition, selective monitoring isn't just enough. Instead, what it's required is a compliance organization aimed at loss prevention and risk control. And this requires, among other things, some form of organized whistleblowing system. And is there some legal prescription of the requirements for this kind of a system? Yes, Sarah. Legal literature in Germany identifies three essential requirements in this regard. First, the procedure must be transparent and credible. Secondly, the whistleblower must be able to remain anonymous. And thirdly, the whistleblower must be guaranteed to suffer no disadvantages as a result of the whistleblowing report. And are there any recent or upcoming changes to these general whistleblowing protections? Yeah, you touch on a point that is now really in the focus, because in uh, October 2019, the so-called whistleblowing directive was adopted and shall be implemented by the member states of the European Union, by December this year, so by December 2021. 
In Germany, the legislative process of an implementing whistleblowing statute is still ongoing, and the current draft bill is subject to a hefty debate in Parliament. A particularly controversial issue in this regard is the scope of the implementing statute. The directive relates only to breaches of union law, such as public procurement law or financial services law. However, as the member states are entitled to extend the scope of the implementation statute uh, to breaches of national law, a so-called gold plating, there is currently no agreement in Germany whether we should extend the scope or not. Opponents to such gold plating approach argue that companies should not be overly burdened with such regulation, especially following the pandemic. The outcome of this debate and thus the final shape of the implementing whistleblowing statute is not yet predictable. Having said this, the member states are required to implement a minimum content stipulated by the whistleblowing directive, so a general framework on whistleblowing protection in Germany can be outlined. As our time is limited, I'll focus on three main aspects of this framework. First, the establishment of reporting offices, secondly, protective measures, and last but not least, sanctions. So companies with 50 or more employees will be required to implement internal and external whistleblowing offices. Internal and external reports are now of equal rank in contrast to the former doctrine under German law, according to which internal reports should be prioritized at all times. Furthermore, retaliation measures against the whistleblower, such as mobbing, discrimination or dismissal, are prohibited if they are induced by the report. A procedural reversal of the burden of proof will apply here. If, after a report or disclosure, a whistleblower suffers a disadvantage in connection with their professional activity, it will be assumed that this disadvantage is prohibited retaliation. That is, of course, a protection measure. And in this case, the person who discriminated against the whistleblower must prove that the discrimination was based on sufficiently justified reasons or that it was not based on the report or disclosure. If he or she fails to do so, the perpetrator is obliged to compensate the whistleblower for any loss suffered. To finish it off, the member states are obliged to implement sanctions against the violation of the provisions of the whistleblowing directive, for example, the obstruction of reports or taking of retaliatory measures. The current draft bill on the implementation of the whistleblowing directive stipulates fines of up to 100,000 euros for each such violation. Thanks, Christian. I think it's always interesting to see how debates around gold plating of directives play out in, in different jurisdictions. We've certainly seen plenty of that in the UK. Um, so that's outlined the general position. Are there any additional requirements specifically aimed at financial services firms? Yeah, indeed. German banks and investment firms have been subject to such requirements since Germany implemented the CRD4 in 2014. Those institutions must implement a whistleblower system for certain financial services regulatory infringements, 
such as the market abuse regulation, the German Banking Act, the German Securities Trading Act, and any criminal offenses, of course, within the company. The system must include specific procedures to receive and follow up reports. It must protect personal data, both of the whistleblowers and those implicated in the reports. And it must clearly guarantee confidentiality, except in very certain and uh, limited circumstances. And it must provide for a specific, independent and autonomous reporting channel. The details of implementation are left to each institution. But what really focuses the minds of senior individuals is the threat of sanctions against directors, as well as institutions themselves, in a graduated way up to and including dismissal. So let's illustrate that with a brief example. So imagine a situation where an employee complains to compliance about being bullied by a colleague. Compliance then informs the employee and the alleged perpetrator's manager. That senior manager promised compliance that they would take action, but in fact did nothing. Um, how might that be addressed? Sure. In such a case, you might have the senior manager in breach of supervisory obligations with respect to controlling for the risk of bullying and addressing the specific issue. But on the whistleblowing point, BaFin might scrutinize the firm's response to the complaint. Compliance might not have adequately preserved the employee's anonymity, given that they told their manager, and especially that they told the manager without first informing the employee. Also, the firm may not have adequately followed up the report. That's a really helpful illustration. Thank you. Since we're just about out of time, um, can we wrap up with a few words about Barfin's central whistleblowing reporting system for financial services? Sure. Barfin set up this system in 2016. It uses a protected electronic system that maintains anonymity. And is this system well used? Actually, it's been used quite frequently with hundreds of notifications typically received each year. Thanks, Christian. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. If you are interested in learning more, then on linklaters.com, you can find our full publication on the approach to non-financial misconduct and whistleblowing in 12 key financial centers, including Germany. And remember to share and subscribe to this podcast feed for more insights from us. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Thank you.